Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the fifth chapter of the book of John. We're going to continue on in our study through the book of John. I've entitled the teaching tonight, One with the Father. So let's take a look at that John chapter 5, starting with verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. And Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open up your word and, Lord, glean from it what you would have for us tonight. Lord, with your Holy Spirit uh, living in each one of us and your Holy Spirit present with us here this evening, we know that you want to impress upon our hearts uh, lessons, things you want us to learn to help us grow for application in our lives. And so, Father, we pray that you speak to our hearts and minds this evening, uh, Lord, and you just uh, apply your word to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when we're younger, uh, I'm going to speak from the standpoint of a man or a boy. Uh, that's what I'm most familiar with, obviously. <laughs> but when we're younger, we tend to like to do what our father does. Uh, I know not, that not everybody had, uh, you know, a perfect relationship with their father growing up. I understand that. In my particular case, I, I did. I was raised in a Christian home. And I did it, up to a certain age anyway, I did like to do what my father did. I used to emulate him. I, I used to copy him. I liked to do the things he liked to do, get involved with what he was working on especially. Uh, one particular time I can remember, I was pretty young. Dad was uh, refurbishing some patio furniture. And it was the old metal-type chairs. He was sanding it down and spray-painting it. And I was bugging him. Oh, Dad, let me paint. Let me try that, you know. Let me help. Let me do this. Ying, 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 you know, the whole time. So finally, Dad gave in, and he decided to let me help. And my dad, in a loving way, hands me a can of spray paint, and he says, here, shake this till it quits making that noise which kept me occupied for, for a while, to say the least. Half an hour later, you know, I'm still shaking. Dad is still making that noise. But he, he kept me busy with that. He kept me involved. And looking back, I appreciate that, although I didn't see the humor in it at the time. He thought it was hilarious. Still laughs about it to this day, actually. But I wanted to be doing what my father was doing. And so here in our text tonight, we see Jesus is speaking of his relationship with his father. So point number one that I want to make tonight is Jesus is saying in this text, God is my father. We see that from the text. It's very clear. God is my father. Verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. He says, my father has been working and so have I. Jesus is very clearly stating that he is the Son of God. Now, we, we talked last week about this conflict that Jesus has 
with the Jews regarding the issue of the Sabbath. And we saw that he was, in their eyes, breaking the Sabbath law. And I guess if we looked at it legalistically, we could agree with the Jews that by what their law said, he was breaking that law. And he could be punished for that, breaking the Sabbath rules and regulations. But it pales in comparison to what he's saying here. Uh, Anyone claiming equality with God, that was considered blasphemy. So the statement of uh, God is my father, we'll see, that's, that's why they wanted to kill him. It wasn't because of the Sabbath. They were irritated with that. It was a point of contention with them that he was breaking the Sabbath. But claiming to be God was a point that we're going to see that led to his crucifixion. And they had a choice after Jesus made this statement about his father. They could believe. They could believe that he was the son of God. But they didn't. So they they either had belief or blasphemy. You see, it's the accurate term because if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we're in the right spot, we're in the right place. But if we don't, it's blasphemous. We're not believing in who He says He is. We're not believing who the Father says He is. Jesus says, my Father has been working Until now, we saw last week that God created the Sabbath for man, for us, for for rest. Yes, God rested on the seventh day after creation. We know that. We looked at that. But it was a picture for us. Jesus also said in Mark chapter 2, verses 27 through 28, that we looked at last week, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. God instituted His Sabbath law in the Ten Commandments when He said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It was not a law for Himself. It was not a law for God. It was a law for man. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now God Himself was not under that law. He created the law. God continues to work every day, including on the Sabbath. God doesn't check out on the Sabbath. It's not like, oh, it's the Sabbath, so don't try to get in touch with God. It's, it's the Sabbath, you know. It's his, it's his day off. God's having a day off. It's the Sabbath. Don't bother God on the Sabbath. He's, he's resting. It's not like that at all. God doesn't take a day off. We know that. We know that, as we discussed last week, God rested from his work on the seventh day. He didn't need rest from the work He was finished with the creation work. He was resting from the creation. So what took place on day 8, on day 9, on day 10? God was working. Jesus says in this text, the Father has been working ever since, even on the Sabbath, because, because He can. It's His will to do so. He created the Sabbath. He instituted the Sabbath. It's it's his. It belongs to him. And now Jesus says, and I have been working on the Sabbath as well because I can. I am Lord of the Sabbath. I created it. I instituted it. It's mine. It belongs to me. My Father works on the Sabbath and so do I. 
So Jesus in that is claiming equality with the Father. Now the Jews heard this and they understood it. They didn't like it, but they understood what he was saying. And here's their response in verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Breaking the Sabbath, that got their attention because it's worthy of punishment. We know that by the law. Claiming to be God, on the other hand, got their attention as well, and that was worthy of death. And that's what they're going to seek out for him. From this point forward, we're going to see that Sabbath contention come up again and again, but it's his claiming to be God, claiming to be the Son of God, that's going to ultimately lead him to the cross. Point number two, my father and I work together as one. Verse 19 says, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. The father continues to do his work on the Sabbath, and so do I. I only do what my father does. I am, Jesus is saying, a perfect representation of the father. I do exactly as he does. John chapter 10, verse 30, when we get there in a couple years, uh, I and my Father are one. We operate as one. We, we are one. We are in perfect agreement. I'm only doing what the Father does. Why? Because I am a perfect representation of Him, a perfect representation of the Father. Now, we can't really say that about our own fathers, uh, our earthly fathers, can we? We may be a lot like them, but we can't say, or would we even want to, <laughs> that I'm a perfect representation of my father, my earthly father. We just can't claim that. We're a lot like them. Uh, we inherit a lot of their idiosyncrasies, but we're not exactly like them. We, we take on certain qualities of our parents. We take on certain faults of our parents, but we become our, our own person, our own individual. Now Jesus, he's not that way. Jesus is a perfect representation of the Father. He completes, he carries out, he manifests the Father perfectly in everything. Why? Because he's God. We've talked about that. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity as we know it, working in perfect harmony together. He says, what the Father does, I also do. Now again, we don't always work together well with our fathers, do we? we? We don't or we didn't always work that well together. You know, as the little child, I wanted to do anything I could to work with my dad, be around, help him however I could. As I got older, into those teenage years, not so much the case. You know, then it wasn't I get to, it was a I have to. Dad's going to use me to do certain things that I don't necessarily want to do. Like the time that he said, son, we need to go out and feed the hogs. We had this barn and a big wagon in the barn with corn in it. We had these big aluminum scoop shovels that we'd scoop out the corn and throw it out to the hogs. And while we were doing it, there was the opportunity for conversation at times. 
teenage son and his dad, good quality conversation. I don't remember a whole lot about what was said, but I do remember saying to my dad, that's just stupid. The last thing I remember was the reverberation of the aluminum scoop shovel off my rear end, knocking me out of the wagon, down with the hogs. <laughs> I still remember that sound, just kind of whang, you know. <laughs> just a sound you don't forget. And I remember him looking down out of the wagon with me laying in the mud with hogs. Are you okay? Yeah. Don't call me stupid. And see, I, didn't, I looked at it, I didn't call him stupid. I just said what he said was stupid, which he interpreted as I called him stupid, hence the scoop shovel incident. But anyway, <laughs> I'm not an exact representation of my dad. There are qualities that I receive from my dad that are good qualities as well. Uh, certain things that my dad does well that I don't. Uh, driving the speed limit. Dad drives the speed. Dad drives under the speed limit. He's so good at it, he drives less than the speed limit. Drives me nuts. Then there are certain things that I do well that, that dad doesn't. Certain qualities that I've gained over time with computers or with music or whatever. Dad doesn't do those things well. I still love the man dearly. We get along great. We've got a great relationship. I don't want to paint any other picture, but I am just not like my dad. But in Jesus, God the Son, the Father's Son, He always works in perfect harmony with, with the Father. We can trust in that. We can know that. He's told us that in His Word. But it takes the Son submitting to the Father for that, that to work. Guys, I can look out tonight and, and just know that that's not always the case, is it? We didn't always submit to our Father. But Jesus was always in perfect submission to the Father. Why do you think that Jesus regularly went off into uh, solitude? He was going to seek the Father's will to get direction basically going to his father and saying, Lord, what do you have for me today? What is it that you want me to do? What's the direction that you want me to go? He was getting instruction. He was getting direction from the father during those times. He's saying, Lord, how do you want it done today, father? I need to know. So Jesus goes to his father for inspiration, for direction, for declaration, to carry out the will of the father for that day. It's just a beautiful picture, I think, when we see Jesus. We have those times where we see Jesus spending time with the Father. The disciples at that time were oblivious. You know, they were asleep somewhere most of the time. But Jesus would rise up early to spend time with the Father to get his marching orders, if you will, for the day. Prepared for the day, whatever. And I think about that and I think, he did it and he's God. He did it because he saw it as important to be in total submission to the Father, to be in the perfect will of the Father for whatever the Father had for him that day. Many times we limit ourselves on that because we try to figure it out for ourselves. But a lesson for us, gang, is to know that it's so important for us to be in regular communication with the Father to know 
what it is that he wants us to do and where, where he wants us to go. We talk a lot here about divine appointments. And I encourage you guys to pray each day for divine appointments. Who might be that person that you could encourage to the Lord or encourage in the Lord? And it's a, kind of a scary thing because what I've seen consistently is when I pray for that, God puts someone in my path for one reason or another. But if we're praying that, we need to also be praying, Lord, prepare me for that situation as well. Strengthen me and encourage me. Give, us, give me a boldness to speak your word or to speak words of encouragement into the life of that person or persons that you're going to have me in contact with. So Jesus going to the Father regularly each day for direction, for inspiration. Verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Now remember, this is Jesus speaking to who? The Jewish religious leaders of the day. The Father loves the Son, shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. The Father loves the Son and shows him all things, everything, completely. And Jesus says to them, what you have seen me do so far, I do it in the name of my Father. I will do greater things in the name of my Father. The Father loves me completely and entrusts these things to me to carry them out. Now we, we feel removed from this, don't we? We, we don't always often feel that we're in the will of the Father. We don't always feel like we have that kind of relationship with the Father where we're seeking His will and carrying out His will. But we know that the Father loves us as well. He, we have that in His Word. We can trust in that. He loves us. So we have that oneness with the Father. We have the Father always having our best interests in mind. And we also have the Father always for working out His will in our lives. Not just in the big picture, because we ask that a lot of times, don't we? Father, I just want to know what your will is for me for the next 10 years. Where am I going to live next year or whatever? God doesn't work that way. I want to reveal my will to you, he says, for today, and I want you to be obedient to that, and then we'll go on from there. Just be obedient to the last thing that God told you to do. That's a great place to be. Be in submission to the Father such that whatever it is, the last thing that He told you to do is His will. Be obedient to that. And then take the next step. Turn to John chapter 17. Flip over there real quick. In John chapter 17, starting at verse... Actually, starting in that, the first of that chapter, we're going to start at verse 20. This is what we would term as the real Lord's Prayer. We all know the Lord's Prayer as it's by title, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But that's, that's a prayer that Jesus gave his disciples as a template. They asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, when you pray, pray in this manner. Here's a template for you. Here are the ingredients for your prayer, the things that you would focus on. This is the real Lord's Prayer. This is Jesus praying in the garden. And he's praying in two ways. He's praying, we see through the first 
19 verses for his disciples, for his boys, the guys that are around him right now. He's praying for them in those first 19 verses, but then in verse 20 it takes a turn, and it's something we can take comfort in, and it really gives us a picture of the relationship that we have with him. Jesus prays, I do not pray for these alone, that being the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. So that's everybody that came after that group of disciples, right? Anybody that accepted the Lord from that point forward would be considered, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So as the gospel goes forth throughout all of history up until this time, even today, that's who he's praying for. Not just his disciples, but those who will be his disciples at some point in the future. Verse 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now this is what's really interesting about this prayer. We're looking at it more in a, a global sense, if you will, as a group, Christians in the future. But we could insert our very name into these verses, us individually into this. He's praying this for us as Christians, but also as an individual that has relationship with him. Verse 22, And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. One with him and one with the Father. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. There's a task for us there. He loves us. We are one in Him. Perfect in Him. So that the what? That the world may know. There's the, the task for us, if you will. And it's not really a task because He wants that for us. He's going to equip us to do that very thing. We can trust in that. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. The love which with which you loved me, Think about that for a second. Here's God's only son, his only begotten son. The love that, that the father would have for him is the same love that he has for us. That's just, think about that for a little bit. That's just deep. That's amazing love, without a doubt. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved us so much that he gave us this plan for salvation, which included his son. Point number three, my father and I give life. My father and I give life. Verse 21 says, For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. Now I have to be thinking that as Jesus goes on, He's digging a hole deeper and deeper with these Jewish religious leaders because just the fact that he claimed 
to be the father's son was bad enough, and now he just keeps going deeper with it. He just keeps moving closer and closer to revealing himself to be God himself. And, of course, they don't like it. At this point in his ministry, Jesus had not yet raised anyone from the dead. So when we read this verse, we don't want in our minds to be thinking, oh, a Lazarus incident. It's something else. And I think the text proves that it's something else as we move forward. Certainly he has the capacity to raise people from the dead, and he does later on. But here he hasn't done that yet, so he's speaking of something else. And if we want to keep true to the text and what it says... Let's take a look at it. So I believe that this text is referring to spiritual resurrection. Not resurrection from the dead physically, but resurrection from the dead spiritually. The Father and the Son give life to those who are dead. So how does he raise us from a dead state to a life state? Two conditions that we have here. Dead spiritually, dead in our sin. Alive spiritually, alive in Christ. Turn real quickly, hold your place in John and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. It says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So who's the you in this you? It's you and me. We were dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, it says. Verse 3 among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse 4 starts off with two phenomenal words, but God. In spite of all of this that we just read, in spite of our condition, dead in our trespasses and sins, we can look at this and we can have a but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. So even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God's providing a way out through that, he's saying here, through Jesus Christ. We were dead in sin. We did not have life spiritually. We needed a divine intervention on the part of the Father. It says in verse 4, God who is rich in mercy, who loves us so much, who shows us grace, if we believe in His Son, we are made alive in His Son. God gave to the Son, Jesus Christ, the authority to give life to those who believe in His Son. So through that, we are raised from our spiritually dead state to a spiritually alive state in the Son. Does that make sense? Turn back to John. Verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. 
keep that in mind that we're not talking about this physical resurrection. We're talking about spiritual resurrection, this state that we were in as sinners being resurrected from that state to life in the Father and in the Son. Point number four, my Father and I judge. Starting with verse 22, for the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. So you might be thinking, Pastor Jim, how can you entitle this part, my Father and I judge, and the verse says, for the Father judges no one. To the Orthodox Jew, Jehovah God was the judge of all the earth. Period. You can see that in Genesis chapter 18 refers to that. No one else would or should apply that title to himself. Judge. The Jewish leaders of the day would have recognized that. There is only one judge and that is God. So if you're claiming to be judge, we got problems. But Jesus did. By claiming this judgment, he once again claimed to be God. In Acts chapter 17, verse 31, Paul says to the philosophers of the day, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. I rest in that verse. I don't know about you guys. I pray that God will apply that verse to my life on a regular basis. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now commends all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. So it says that God will judge the world in righteousness by this man, this man being Jesus Christ, whom he has ordained. Jesus will say to the Father on that day one of two things. Yes, they have relationship with me, or no, they don't have relationship with me. Hebrews 9.27 says, is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. We all know we die eventually, physically, we die. We are then judged based on how we lived. So physically, we're, we're all going to die. So we will die unless the Lord returns for us before we do. We are then judged based on how we lived. Did we live for Christ? Did, did we, do we have a relationship with Him? His judgment, His righteous judgment, He alone has the authority to make that call. In Revelation chapter 20, we see the great white throne of judgment. And there are those that are standing before God in that particular text, and anyone in that group whose name isn't found written in the book of life is judged according to their works. Well, we all know our works are going to fail us, aren't they? It's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, as a gift of God, not by works. Not works don't save us. And it also speaks of this book that names are written in, this book of life. And the text is saying that if your name isn't in that book, then you're going to be judged according to your works. If your name is in that book, you're not going to be judged at the great white throne judgment at all. It's just not going to happen. You get a pass, if you will, because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He wrote your name in that book. 
So God ultimately judges those whose names are not written in this book of life. And the Father has committed to the Son to determine or judge those who are and will be written in this book, in this book of life. And if their names are not written in the book of life, the Father judges their works, they fall short, and then they are condemned. So how does your name get into the book of life? Do you believe in the Son? Do you trust in the Son? Do you honor the Son for who He is and what He's done? Verse 23 says that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Honor is a, an interesting word. Uh, it's a familiar word to us. One place that we may have seen it was in the fifth commandment where it instructs us to honor our father and mother. Now I hope tonight, as I shared some stories about my dad, that it was dishonoring to my father. I don't think it was. He laughs about the same things that I do. We are alike in that way, that we agree that I did a lot of dumb things when I was a kid. So we can laugh about that. But Webster's definition of honor, we can look at the word honor in this way because honor is something that we look at, basically three characteristics in that. Uh, one of renown, because of who they are. Uh, recognition, because of what they do or what they have done. And respect, because of who they are and because of what they do or what they've done. So renown, recognition, and respect, we could put all those together for a definition, if you will, a working definition of the word honor. So in our text, we are to honor the Son because of who He is and because of what He has done and promises to do. That's why we would give Him honor, because of who He is, because of what He's done and is doing, and the things that He promises to do. So verse 23 is very clear. If we don't honor the Son, we don't honor the Father. If we don't give the Son the respect that He's deserving of, the renown, the recognition for who He is, then we're not honoring the Son. And the text says that if you're not honoring the Son, you're not honoring the Father. Now this should have been, would have been, a slap in the face to these religious leaders that were there because they certainly were not Son-honoring. Were they God-honoring? Well, they probably thought they were because they were keeping all of these rituals and these rules, uh, all these uh, commands as well. But they'd gone way overboard with that and they thought themselves very much righteous and that they were very much honoring the Father. But Jesus is saying, if you're not honoring me, you're not honoring the Father. What was he saying? You're not honoring the Father. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's pretty clear what he's telling these guys. Wouldn't have went over real well. But recognize who the Son is and what He's done. If we have relationship with the Son, we also have relationship with the Father. Point number five. My Father and I have life. Verse 24, most assuredly. We see that again three times in our text tonight. We see most assuredly. Truly, truly. Or listen up. Pay attention to this. Then he says four words that I believe ring out across the centuries. I say to you. He's speaking to the Jewish religious leaders. 
And he says, I say to you, but he says to them, he says to us, he says to everyone. But I like scriptures like this because I think we can take it very personally, very individually. Okay, I'm going to assume, Lord, you're speaking to me. I know you're speaking to everybody, but right now, my spiritual ears are open. I'm listening to what you have to say to me because you're saying, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. He says this to you, to me, to everyone who will hear. Listen up. I say to you, and those words should ring out with reverberation in our ears because it's personal, it's intimate. I say to you. Jesus himself is saying, you need to hear this. Listen to me. What I'm about to say is a life-giving message. In verse 21, it says that the Son gives life to whom he will. We read that earlier. Now in verse 24, we are told to whom the Son chooses to give that life. The Son gives life to whom he will, and now he's going to tell us whom he chooses to give that life to. The first part of that verse says, he who hears my word, not only hearing it, but receiving it as well. Not just hearing it, not just even believing it, but also obeying it. He who hears my word. And then he who believes in God. It's not enough to just believe in God, but it's also believing what God says. We know that there's a scripture that says, you believe there is a God? Even the demons believe that and shudder. So the de demons believe that there's a God. Believing that there is a God is one thing, but believing in Him is something else altogether. Believing in God and believing in what God says. And then he who believes God sent me. So he who hears my word, he who believes in God, and he who believes God sent me. Believing in God, believing that God sent Christ, his only son, believing he sent his son to be the savior. Now we look at it on this side of the cross, and this makes sense to us, doesn't it? Those of us that have relationship with the Lord, this makes sense. Keep in mind the audience that he's speaking to there, these Jewish religious leaders. Um, I have a feeling that Jesus' words are penetrating. We know that. They're sharper than any two-edged sword. But yet, there's a wall there. There's this wall of the law of uh, rituals and all these things that's keeping them from hearing the truth of what he's saying. They're hearing what he's saying with their ears. They're just not hearing the truth that's behind it. And that can be the case with those that don't have relationship with the Lord. If any time that you've tried to share your faith with some, someone, sometimes they're receptive and sometimes they aren't, right? And if they're not receptive, it's like there's this wall here. There's this hard thing to penetrate. And that can only happen by God working in their heart through the power of the Holy Spirit reaching to them and getting through all that that's in front. So he who hears my word, he who believes in God, and he who believes God sent me. Three things there that are qualifications for whom the Son chooses. And then we have results. 
from that. Three things. Number one, has everlasting life. Anyone who does these, believes these things, has everlasting life. Not will have, but has it right now. In the here and now, you have that with him. Number two, shall not come into judgment. Not condemned now or ever will be. We are free from that judgment because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We accept that Christ paid the penalty for our sins and our trespasses. So number one was the results is has everlasting life. Number two, shall not come into judgment. Number three, has passed from death to life. We've passed out of a state of this spiritual death that we're in until we come to know Christ and passed into a state of spiritual life, life in Him. The situation is this. You reject Jesus' word, what He says about Himself, you suffer eternal condemnation. If you accept Jesus' word, you have eternal life. And His instructions are very simple. Hear believe. Hear me and believe what I say. And if you do this, this is my promise, you will have eternal life. You will not come into judgment. You will go from being dead to being alive. It's a simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Very simple message. Hear and believe and you go from being dead in your sins to alive in Christ. Verse 25, another most assuredly, truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Ephesians chapter 2 again. Truly, if you're dead in your trespasses and sins and if you will just hear me, I will make you alive. He says the hour is coming and now is. Truly, from this point forward, those who hear will live those who do not hear will not live. Verse 26, For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself and has given Him authority to execute judgment also because He is the Son of Man. So just as the Father is the source and giver of life, so the Son is the source and giver of new life. We were born physically at one time. God gave us life as He created us. And now there's this new life that only comes through Jesus Christ coming out of being dead, that, spirit, that dead state going into a spiritually alive state. The Son is the source and the giver of new life. He says, I've granted that the Son would have life in Himself. No one ever gave the Father or the Son life. They weren't dependent upon someone or something else to give, to give them life. Excuse me. They've always had it. They are the initiators of it. The Father has given the Son the authority to give life, it says, and to execute judgment. Jesus is the Son of God and the Son of Man. He is God, we know, as a holy part of the Holy Trinity. And as the Son of God, it says He's able to give life because He is life. He was given life in Himself by the Father. The verse says that as well. Uh, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself. 
And as the Son of Man, He is able to judge because He was tempted in all ways like us, yet did not sin. He knows what it's like to go through our day. In fact, <laughs> we've not had a day like some of His days. We haven't had to suffer like He suffered. We haven't had to face persecution the way that He was persecuted. We have persecution in our lives, but it pales in comparison for most of us to what, what he went through. But he was able to go through all he went through as the Son of Man, yet did not sin. So he was given authority by the Father. He says in verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. I think it's interesting that Jesus says, do not marvel at this. <laughs> Why? I think they were marveling at this. That's the reason he said it. I think they were blown away by what he was claiming. They didn't believe it. They weren't buying what he was throwing down, but they were marveling at the fact that he was even saying it. And then what's he say? Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Yeah, you're marveling at that? Check this out. <laughs> I'm going to go even further with this. Do not marvel at just these things I have just said. I've got even more for you to marvel at. They were. They were marveling at what he'd already said. They didn't believe him. They wanted to kill him, without a doubt. But they did marvel that he claimed to be God. He says, I'm not speaking just to those of who are physically alive right now and can hear me. I'm also speaking to those who are already physically dead and in the grave that will hear me. They will hear my voice and come forth. In verse 29, they will hear my voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Do you see why I said earlier we're not dealing with this bodily resurrection like he did with Lazarus, raising him from the dead, Lazarus come forth. He says right here, those who have done good come forth to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Two types here we see come forth, those who have done good and those that have done evil. It's, it's pretty straightforward. And they will all one day be raised or resurrected all of them some to life some to condemnation some will be saved some will not did they hear and believe while still alive physically disappointed man wants to die and then what the judgment right when they were alive physically did they respond to the message the word the words of Jesus did they hear did they believe those who were before the Son of God came, those who were Old Testament, before Christ came in the New Testament. We know we've got scriptures in the Old Testament that say if they believed in God and in His promises, if they were looking forward to the promised Messiah, it was accounted to them as righteousness. We know that. Abraham, David, the list goes on and on. If they were looking forward to the coming Messiah, if they were believing in God and His promises for the future, it was uh, accounted to them as, as righteousness. So if they believed in God and His promises, if they were looking forward to that, 
So, as we've said before, here we are tonight, a Saturday evening in Berthoud, Colorado, two groups of people. One group saved, one group not saved. One group relationship with Jesus Christ, another group maybe not. So the question that you need to ask yourself in this place this evening is, if I died tonight, would I be resurrected into new life? Would I? Search your heart and ask yourself that question. Or are you in a place where if you died tonight, you'd be resurrected into condemnation? Pastor Jim, based on what you were just saying, it's pretty clear that if I'm in Christ, I've been raised into this resurrected life, into eternal life, everlasting life. But if I'm not in Christ, if I haven't heard him and believed him in what he says and who he is, then I'm not. But if you're here, you're still alive. You still, you still have a choice. You still have opportunity. Will you hear the words of Jesus? Will you believe the words of Jesus? Scripture says that the Lord doesn't desire that anyone should perish. He wants all to come to know him. So we have that opportunity as we pray tonight.